This week's reading for the second Sunday in Lent comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. May the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Yesterday afternoon, it was kind of late in the day, it was probably 4 or 4.30, and I sacked out on the couch over in my house. And at the same time, my wife also sacked out in the chair. It was kind of one of those times where naps were pending, and I dozed for a little while, maybe 15, 20 minutes. It wasn't a real long nap. But in the time that I was dozing, my wife just crashed. She was out, and she was out for quite a long time. Now, when I woke up, I was comfy laying there on the couch and just reached down and grabbed my phone that was sitting on the floor next to me, and I picked it up, and I just kind of started scrolling on the social medias as I'm prone to do at times. Now, here's the thing about our setting. Since it was at that point when we had both laid down, it was still pretty bright outside, and our house has a lot of windows, so there's a lot of light comes in. It just happened to be a situation where all of the, the lights were turned off. We didn't have any of the lights on, and the house was quiet, and we just sort of sacked out, and, and that's the way it went. And now my wife slept for like two hours. So by the time she actually woke up, it was like 6.15, give or take. And at that point, this time of year, it was getting pretty dark outside. It wasn't completely dark. There was still a little bit of light, but it was getting dark. And what I had not really recognized during the time that I was just looking at my phone, just kind of scrolling, was how dark, how dim it was getting in the house. But she woke up and she kind of looked around and she made the statement, do you just like sitting in the dark or what? And at that moment, I realized, oh yeah, it's gotten kind of dark in here. I guess I just didn't notice. Now, as I think about that, that moment of realization, which followed not really recognizing the changes that were going on around me, I'm reminded of something that I've heard a few different times. I don't know if this is actually true or not, but I've heard it a lot. People say that if you had a frog 
and you tried to throw it in a pot of boiling water, it would instantly try and jump out because it would recognize that's dangerous, that's not good, I don't want to be there. But if you take that same frog and you put it in the pot of lukewarm just room temperature water and very slowly raise the temperature to boiling, that frog will never recognize the changes that are going on around it because it is cold-blooded and its body adapts to its surroundings and it would stay in there not recognizing the danger. Now, I want you to take that idea of not recognizing the environment that we're in and sort of tuck that in the back of your minds because I think that's sort of applicable applicable to where we find ourselves with this story. Now, we're in John's gospel, and John's gospel, as opposed to the other three gospels, has things really sorted out differently. It's, it's much, much different of a, of a storytelling situation as compared with the other gospels. Now, here's some differences. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus only goes for the Passover festival one time that we hear about, and it's right at the end. It's, what, it's the events that we would call Holy Week, which we'll get to here in about another month when we reach that point at the end of the season of Lent. But here in John's Gospel, we actually hear that Jesus goes to the Passover festival three times. It's actually where we get the three-year ministry of Jesus. And this is the very first time. And if you noticed, we're in John chapter 3. So we are very, very early on. Not a whole lot has happened yet. Jesus has kind of started to gather some of his disciples around him. And we've heard about the first of his signs. Now signs is what John calls miracles. And that happened when he turned water into wine at, at the wedding in Cana. And he's kind of moving around. And he's kind of starting to do these various signs, some of which we hear about, some of which we don't. And he's talking, he's preaching, he's, he's teaching, he's doing sort of all of these things. And now he and his disciples have come into Jerusalem for the, the festival of Passover. That's, that's the setting where we find ourselves. Now, he's also developing some opposition. Some of the religious elite are hearing, catching wind of this, this Jesus guy, and they don't quite know what to make of him, and they don't quite like what they hear. And one of the reasons for that is when Jesus entered into the city for the festival of Passover, the first thing he did was he went into the temple and had this moment known as the cleansing of the temple, where he gets mad because it's been turned into a marketplace and people are taking advantage of travelers and making money off of of. Uh, currency exchange, and they're making money selling animals for, for sacrifices. They're doing all of this stuff, and they're taking advantage of their fellow countrymen, and he doesn't like it, so he, he dr- makes a whip, and he drives all the animals out, and he throws the money changers' tables over. He kind of has, it causes a big old uproar, and the religious leaders, the religious elite, they really don't like that, and so that is all lying behind this moment that we find ourselves in. So, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's there for the festival of Passover. He's kind of been in and around the city, and he's doing a lot of different things, and we hear he's performing signs, and people are are paying attention, and, and the religious elite don't really know what to make of it, and Jesus is kind of already pushing against the status quo, and that's problematic for them. So we apparently hear that there must be some discussion amongst these religious elites that's sort of going on behind closed doors, and one of them has the gumption to come and find Jesus. But he does so secretly. He does so at night, in the middle of the darkness. Now, I think this darkness is both literal in in the storytelling aspect that he comes in the middle of the night when he can be there secretly, and it's also metaphorical because we think about he's, he's 
he's grumbling around in the darkness and he doesn't see the light and things of that nature. So all of this is sort of both literal and metaphorical. But it's this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. So he is one of the religious elite. And they definitely know something is up, even if they don't understand it. And we hear that in the very first thing that he says. He addresses Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs apart from God. Here's the thing. Jesus is fully divine and also fully human. Jesus is a guy who is also God. And yes, that's weird and we struggle to wrap our heads around it, but that is the truth that we find in the Gospels and that we find in, in the, our faith and that we profess in our faith. But that is really, really hard to figure out. And in everything that Jesus is doing, he's challenging the status quo. He's challenging the current understanding. He's challenging everything. Now, the religious leaders seem to know something is up, but they cannot grasp it. They cannot fathom it. And so here comes Nicodemus, and then they have this back and forth. Now, I appreciate this time, and I imagine this in my mind of the two of them just sitting there over a fire, just kind of debating things and going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it seems that Jesus is actually applauding where Nicodemus is at, or he's perhaps recognizing that the Spirit is doing something in the heart of Nicodemus. And he talks about how no one can see the the kingdom of God unless they are born from above, unless they are born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus gets kind of confused. And he's like, well, can a person be born a second time? And there's, there's some ambiguity in the original language, which leads to this sort of confusion that he has. But they're going back and forth, and they're going back and forth. And Nicodemus can't wrap his head around it. And I think Jesus gets that. And he says, the wind blows where it will. The spirit blows where it will. The spirit of God is going to do whatever it wants to, and you can't control it. And then... Nicodemus makes a statement, or almost an exasperated question, but I think it's really more of a statement. He's like, how can these things be? How can this be? He might as well say, I don't get it. What is happening? What is God up to? What is going on? Now, Jesus says, don't be astonished that these things are happening. It is bigger than you can fathom. It is bigger than you can understand. He even talks about that that which is born of the flesh cannot grasp these things. You are human. You can't grasp what God is up to, and that's okay. Now, again, Nicodemus' final statement, I really appreciate. How can these things be? He's asking a question that reveals that his mind is being blown and he just cannot wrap his head around it. He cannot get this. He cannot make it work. If we're going to follow that that metaphor that I used before of the frog in the pot, he is the frog, he's in the boiling water, and he's trying to get God, or whatever God is up to, to fit into the pot. Because if he can put God into this box, he can wrap his head around it and he can understand what it is. But what we see over and over and over again is that God will not fit into that pot. God will not fit into the box that we try to create over and over and over again, and we all do. God will not be contained in that box, and that's okay. The Spirit blows where it will, and you cannot control it. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the thing that I kind of appreciate about all this. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but Nicodemus sort of almost fades away in this story. He makes that that final question of how can these things be, and then we never hear from him again in this 
particular part of the story. And Jesus kind of goes on and keeps teaching. And yes, it stands to reason that Nicodemus is probably still there, but we don't hear from him anymore. So we don't really know what to make of it. And so I always kind of wonder, I start to think about it, I'm like, this is a strange place for Nicodemus to be. It's like he's recognizing that the water around him is boiling and he doesn't know what to do with it. So where do we go from there? But if we look ahead, we recognize that his story's not over. And I think this is important for us to recognize. Nicodemus actually pops up two more times in the Gospel of John. Now, the first one's about midway through, and Jesus has continued in his ministry. There's continued opposition. And at that point where we find ourselves, which I believe is like chapter 7 or chapter 8, somewhere around there, a lot of the uh, religious bigwigs are really trying to find a way to take Jesus out. They're really trying to get him off the scene because they're concerned about what he is doing. And so they start talking about having him arrested. And in public, in a public forum, Nicodemus then stands up and he kind of sort of thinly supports the movement just a little bit when he says, hey, is it our practice to arrest someone without a trial? We can't do that. And he doesn't really come out and say, hey, I like these guys. I like what they're up to. I think Jesus is onto something. But he's also, he's sort of kind of kind of sticking up for him. So he's made a little progress. He's kind of moved forward just a little bit. We see him one more time, right at the end of the story. At the death of Jesus, there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who's a follower of Jesus, who asks Pilate to, have, to, to receive the body of Jesus so that it can be buried. And Nicodemus is right there in public, in full display, helping take down the body of Jesus. He brings supplies for his burial and helps in laying him in the tomb. You cannot get more public than that. So we see that Nicodemus starts from the boiling point, the, the boiling pot of water, and then he kind of takes a little bit of a step forward, and then at the end of the story, he takes another pretty major step forward. And I think that's a good reminder for us that God does not leave us where we're at and that our story does not stop in a single it's almost like Nicodemus is that frog and he recognizes the water's boiling around me. And then in his continued story, we see the temperature coming back down because of what the Holy Spirit continues to do in his life and what the Holy Spirit continues to do in and around him. And I think that's the important takeaway for us. We, here at the beginning of Lent or towards the beginning of Lent, we are recognizing those aspects of ourselves that sometimes don't make sense, that sometimes don't make sense to ourselves, but we see the brokenness that is a part of all of us. And the promise of the gospel is that whatever it is that God is up to, which we can only begin to understand and we cannot fully grasp. Whatever it is that God is up to, God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, is overcoming that brokenness that's a part of all of us. Now, I also believe that as the Holy Spirit acts in our lives, as the Holy Spirit acts in our hearts and in the, the communities that we are a part of, and as God acts in this world that we are a part of, we are not left at a single point either. Whatever it is that God is up to, it's not a one and done. It is ongoing. Now, when I say that, it's also important that I state when God claims us as beloved children, that's already done. 
And when Jesus died and rose again to overcome the powers of brokenness and sin and death, that's already done. We will remember it again in Holy Week, but it is past tense. It has already happened. But the action of the Holy Spirit continuing to blow through the world like a wind that we cannot control continues to invite us forward and forward and forward. The ongoing work in this world that God is up to is not done yet, and the invitation of Christ is for us to join in. Now, sometimes we can wrap our heads around that, and sometimes we just find ourselves in a state of like, I don't get this, and that is okay. Remember that this moment that you find yourself in right now is not the end, and things continue, and the Spirit is still present with you, whether you find yourselves in a point where your brain is just blown and you're like, I don't get this at all, or where you find yourselves in a difficult period of pain and doubt and you don't know what to think, or if you find yourself in a moment of like, yes, Lord, I get it. This is wonderful. Yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo, that's weird. Wahoo, I'm making weird noises now. If you find yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit is like getting you jumping for joy, spectacular, that's right where you need to be. If you're in any of those other spots, that's right where you need to be too, because God needs you where you are. And the promise is that God does not leave us where we are, but continues to invite us forward. Amen.